Hello, and welcome to Sanity Optional. My name is Silent Snooper. I'm going to deviate from my normal video game-focused topics this week to talk about something else I find interesting, as you likely saw by the title, Dreams, Memories, and the Brain. Also, there won't be a science article at the end, as this whole thing, well, it's pretty science in and of itself. So let's begin. We sleep on average one-third of our lives. For some people, being unconscious to the world is our favorite thing to do. I know it's mine. During our lifetime, we spend approximately six years dreaming. That's a long time. Dreams are still largely an unknown area of science, and a lot of this is conjecture mixed with a few of my own opinions. Many scientists seem to think that we dream between three and six times a night, and that each dream lasts between five and twenty minutes. I assume this is pretty accurate because they can tell when we're dreaming based off of EEG brain scans. So what are dreams? Dreams are basically defined as every thought, perception, and emotion that our brain conjures up during sleep. Sometimes they're nice dreams, sometimes they're nightmares, and sometimes they're confusing. Dreams can involve all five senses, which is part of what can make them seem real. We can see and hear what's going on, we can smell and touch the environment, and we can taste foods if we eat in the dream although that's a little rare. Granted, kinesthetic and auditory sensations in our dreams occur much more frequently than touch, smell, and taste. But according to one study, dreams can be affected by external stimuli. For example, nice smells in the room when, when you're sleeping can improve your dreams, whereas negative smells can be a detriment. So if you want nice dreams, try making your sleeping arrangements smell nice. One thing that might surprise you about dreams is that the people in your dreams are all people that you've seen before. You may not know who they are or where you saw them, but we've all seen thousands of faces in our lifetimes, and our brain uses that information instead of inventing new characters. For most of us, we dream when we're asleep. Now, there are two main types of sleep. There's non-rapid eye movement sleep, also known as NREM or quiet sleep, and rapid eye movement sleep, or REM, or active sleep. Now, have you ever tried to fall asleep and something happens to jolt you awake? Have you thought you heard a sound or felt a brief falling sensation? I certainly have. These phenomena are called hypnagogic hallucinations, and at least 10% of the population experiences this effect. Hypnagogic means relating to the states immediately before falling asleep. If you have sleep starts, then sometimes an arm or a leg will jerk suddenly. This is called a myoclonic jerk. Sometimes this will happen with a leg, on my, in my case. It is an involuntary action that can occur right on the edges of sleep. While quite weird, they are very common, and up to 70% of people report experiencing them. Now these two events, hypnagogic hallucinations and myoclonic jerks, occur during the lightest part of your sleep known as NREM stage 1, which is a transition between wakefulness and sleep. This stage lasts about 10 minutes, during which the brain produces high-amplitude theta waves. Theta waves are very slow brain waves. Your brain can also produce theta waves while being awake. You can tell when you're producing a lot of theta waves while you're awake, because you'll feel scatterbrained or sluggish. Some people call this being on autopilot and I have certainly experienced this. Following this stage is NREM stage two, obviously, and the brain produces sleep spindles, 
which are rapid bursts of brain waves in a cadence. You become less aware of your surroundings, your breathing and heartbeats per minute become regular, and your temperature drops. Most people spend about 50% of their sleep in this state. Think of non-rapid eye movement stage 2 as the default sleep mode. You frequently go into stage 2 after REM sleep and after stage 3 sleep, and this cycle repeats throughout the night. NREM stage 3 is a deeper sleep and acts as a transition from the lighter states of NREM 1 and 2 to the very deep sleep of REM. If you're a sleepwalker, this is the stage where you are most likely to wander around. Your muscles relax, and your blood pressure and rate of breathing drop as well. This stage is also known as delta sleep because your brain produces delta waves in this stage. Finally, REM sleep is stage 4 and read you most, but not all, of your dreaming. During REM, your body becomes relaxed, but immobilized. Your brain becomes more active, and your eyes move rapidly. When you sleep, around 20% of your sleep is REM sleep. One of the things that happens when you're in REM sleep is that your involuntary muscles are paralyzed. This is known as REM atonia, and it prevents you from acting out your dreams. Very rarely, this paralysis can still be in effect when you wake up. This is called sleep paralysis. If this happens to you, do not panic. It is a normal but rare side effect of sleep, and the effect should go away within 10 minutes. In fact, try to enjoy or live in the moment of the experience while you can. It's pretty rare. If you've ever experienced deja vu, some of these can be related to real-life events triggering dream fragments. It's thought that our dreams are stored in our brains, similar to memories, but we don't know how to access them. I have certainly had dreams with recurring themes, locations, or people. Many experts think that dreams are our subconsciousness sorting out the day's events and making sense of them, or they could be trying to tell us something. Now, I don't believe that any book which tells you that if you dream about X, then you want Y or Z should be taken seriously, the only person who can decide what your dreams mean, assuming you care and assuming you remember them correctly, if at all, is you. I think that only you can try to intuit what possible meaning they have. If you disagree with me, that is more than okay. Some people experience lucid dreaming, and some of them are able to influence their dreams. A lucid dream is when you know that you're dreaming. I've had instances where I know that I'm in a dream but I am unable to control or rewrite it. Nightmares can occur due to stress, conflict, trauma, fear, emotional issues, medication or drug use, or, in some cases, illnesses. And I personally have only ever had a handful of dreams that I remember. There is a reoccurring theme in my dreams over the past several years, however. Either I dream that A, I'm in a location which is a combination of a large grocery store and a gas station, two places in which I have extensive job experience, but this location in my dream has like catwalks hanging from the ceiling and they are laden with heavily armed guards or soldiers patrolling to keep the peace. Option B for my dreams is that I am either infiltrating or exfiltrating some secret underground facility or warehouse that's usually either scientific or military themed, occasionally as some kind of fancy home or professional work environment. So I'm sneaking around, crawling through vents, etc. And there's occasionally a gunfight or some other kind of action. And I can only recall a couple other dreams 
that are interesting in their own ways. I have had two floating dreams in my life. In one, I was a leaf, and in the other, I was a dandelion seed. And I was floating on the air currents and seeing the sights of this city or something. And I think one of them might have been Paris, but I'm not sure. I've never been to Paris, but I wouldn't say no to going. The other two dreams I remember vaguely. One involved a hole in a large tree that wound down into the ground to into a spherical cave. And there were psychedelic tigers that communicated telepathically. The other dream involved finding a living cave in a forest, and the walls inside the cave were fleshy and warm and moist. It was alive and partially cybernetic, and I eventually had to help it by finding its sibling cave elsewhere in the forest and, quote, repairing it, which ended up leading to a boss fight. It was quite weird, and no, I was not on drugs. Now, I don't know what kinds of memory those dreams were based off of, but our dreams can be created based on two types of memory. Autobiographical memories, or long-term memories about yourself, and episodic memories, which are specific to events or episodes. It is hypothesized that the left hemisphere of the brain provides dream origins, while the right side provides vividness and figurativeness. Now, while there are an infinite number of dreams, they can be broken down into basic themes. There exists a list of 55 typical dream themes that has arisen due to a series of questionnaires, and these themes appear to be stable over different sample populations. Now, I'm going to try and say all 55 of them, but I'm going to try and say them as fast as I can, and hopefully in under 90 seconds. So, grab a stopwatch. The themes are school, teachers, and studying, being chased or pursued, sexual experiences, falling, arriving too late, a living person being dead, a person now dead being alive, flying, soaring, or floating through the air, failing an exam, being on the verge of falling, being frozen with fright, being physically attacked, being nude, eating delicious food, swimming, being locked up, involving insects or spiders, being killed, losing teeth, being tied up, restrained, or unable to move, being inappropriately dressed, being a child again, trying to complete a task successfully, being unable to find a toilet, discovering a new room at home, having superior knowledge or mental ability, losing control of a vehicle, fire, Wild violent beasts, seeing a face very close to you, snakes, whether they're on a plane or not isn't specified, having magical abilities, vividly sensing but not necessarily seeing or hearing a presence in the room, finding money, flood or tidal waves, killing someone, seeing yourself as dead, being awake but paralyzed in bed, behave, people behaving menacingly, seeing yourself in a mirror, being a member of the opposite sex, being smothered or unable to breathe, encountering God in some form, Seeing a flying object crash, earthquakes, seeing an angel, involving part animal, part human creatures, tornadoes or strong winds, being at the movies, seeing extraterrestrials, traveling to another planet, being an animal, seeing UFO, someone having an abortion, or being an object. And hot damn, I think that was under 90 seconds. Now, I'm honestly surprised that dreams involving former or current work locations or music were not on that list. Dreams involving music are typically dreamt by musicians. And some musicians have reported that in their dreams, they hear music that they've never heard before. So maybe we can write music while we're dreaming. That's interesting. So what about people with disabilities? Do they dream? One report on the dreams of people who have been deaf from birth states that nearly 80% of them have had dreams where they spoke or heard and understood spoken language. Now, I kind of wonder how that actually works. Is a deaf person actually hearing spoken language? Or is their brain simulating what it assumes is speech? Is it just thinking different sides of a conversation? 
like, are there two characters in the dream, each with internal monologues who can telepathically communicate, and the dreamer doesn't know the difference, but it fits enough with what they know that they assume it's speech? I don't know. That could be an interesting study. Blind people do dream. However, their experience in dreams can vary quite differently from those of us with sight. The older a person was before they became blind, the more likely they are to see in their dreams. But if someone was born blind, or they became blind at a young age, say less than seven years old, then their dreams are filled with more of the other senses than sight. Some might only see vague shapes or colors or hues of light. Some might see nothing, but feel everything. If you ask a blind person if they dream, they'll invariably say yes, which would be true. But if you ask them if they saw anything, they might be unable to answer that. Even if they saw an image or a shape, how would they recognize that? A separate report on the dreams of those who have been paraplegics since birth stated that many of them reported being able to walk or run and even swim in their dreams, even though they've never done any of those things. And for those people, are dreams kind of an escape from reality? Do they look forward to dreaming more than ambulatory people? One thing I found surprising while doing research for this, not everyone dreams in color. Apparently, 12% of those involved in dream studies reported that they dream in black and white. And yes, animals dream too. Have you ever owned a pet and noticed that they make noise or move when sleeping, pretending to run or chase something? Sleeping animals make the same brain waves that we do when we're sleeping. Brain scans of sleeping people have shown that during REM sleep, the body turns off or powers down sections of the brain that involve memory. We might remember only some dreams because they occur during the reboot of the memory areas of the brain as we begin to wake up. Maybe we don't remember dreams well because it might confuse us on which event was a dream versus which was the memory. We know the outer layer of the brain is often called gray matter or the cerebral cortex. This is where the neurons have the receiving cell body. Inside the brain, beneath the gray matter, is what's called white matter. This is where the cell axons are, and where messages travel from neuron to neuron along their way. There are about 100 billion neurons in the human brain, although I've gathered some evidence in my life that some people are a few hundred billion neurons short. There are two parts of the brain that have strong associations with memory. The hippocampus processes all incoming information and delegates which events and which memories should be stored up long term. The amygdala is the emotional side of memories and helps us to make decisions about events based on those emotions, and this includes our fight or flight responses. Also, because the amygdala is in close proximity to the hippocampus, we're pretty sure that this is why we remember emotional memories more clearly and for a longer length of time than non or less emotional memories. Memories associated strongly with smell are that way because the brain cells responsible for smell are the only brain cells that extend beyond your physical body as they hang out high up in your nasal passage. The olfactory neurons and their smell receptors are linked directly to your hippocampus and aren't filtered by other parts of your cortex. All other sensory inputs are filtered through various parts of your brain before they reach the hippocampus. Vis-a-vis, -vis, muscle memory is stored in the cerebellum. Memories are stored by a sequence of neurons firing. When we recall something from memory, that same sequence of neurons are fired up again, 
which brings up the memory. But every time you recall a memory, it can become affected by newer knowledge and emotions and thoughts, which can interfere with the neuron structure of the memory. This can lead to false memories. Thus, every time it gets resaved in long-term memory, it might be a different memory, or a memory of a memory. And since you don't have an original copy of the memory to compare to, the differences usually go unnoticed. This is one of the reasons that eyewitness testimony is the least accurate form of evidence, even though it has high value in criminal court trials, which doesn't make any sense to me, and honestly, that's another topic entirely. Our short-term memory temporarily saves an event when we give something attention, but not everything is saved. Our brain filters out most of the sensory inputs before sorting, since most of the time these things aren't necessary to function. Without the filter, we likely would be overstimulated with constant impressions of our senses. Now things in short-term memory generally stay there from 15 to 30 seconds. If you keep recalling or rehearsing the memory, the staying power increases and eventually it moves to being saved into long-term memory. Long-term memory can be divided into two categories, explicit or conscious and implicit or unconscious. The explicit memory is one that you are aware of or use consciously. There are two types of explicit memory, semantic and episodic. Semantic memories are more factual or sequential, like the order of days in the week or months in the year, or which Star Trek series is the best. Deep Space Nine. <coughs> Excuse me. Episodic memories are much more emotional and event-based, like where you were when something important happened in the world, or how you felt when you won an award or had your first kiss. Implicit memories are unconscious memories and knowledge, basic things like how to walk, sit, stand, and run. Part of implicit memory is something called priming. Priming combines related memories in order to remember something faster, so things like word association or color association, etc. Now our brains work to process memories while we sleep. It consolidates them into long-term storage, connecting new information to previous experiences, thereby strengthening their neural pattern. Say you're learning a new skill, like flying a plane, or sewing, or a new language. Your brain will work on those new memories while you're asleep. It might connect learning to fly a plane to other spatial awareness skills, sewing to other dexterous or physical manipulation skills, and learning a new language to other language or word association skills. And your brain reactivating those memories will help you to access that knowledge faster further down the line. Have you ever woken up from a dream and felt that the subject or contents of the dream seemed to be related to the events of the week before? Maybe you were in an accident or had a stressful test or something similar and you dreamed about that? If so, then you've experienced what is known as dream lag. It's thought that some memories can take up to a whole week for them to be encoded into long-term storage. Once there, it's theorized that they can be accessed by dreams for information. It sounds weird, but it sounds cool. It's like your memories are a library for your dreams to withdraw information for whatever sequence it's brewing up. Recently, I streamed a video game called Remember Me. It's about a future society on Earth who uses memories as part of the economy. You can sell or purchase memories. You can even rewrite memories and change the events in them. Experiencing new things became an addiction for some people, and they go in search of new memories, even going so far as to steal them from others.
this was accomplished via a social technology in the game world, and your brain could be hacked through this technology. Pretty terrifying stuff if you think about it. Someone could take something you experienced and you wouldn't even know anything was missing because you wouldn't remember it. The phrase, remember me, came to be a way of saying goodbye, and it was a request to value that interaction enough to not sell it or forget about it. I also heard instances of people saying, I'll remember you as a goodbye, which signified that the interaction was valued. It was an interesting game, and I recommend a playthrough. I sometimes wish I could forget everything I know about a movie or a video game so that I can experience the awesomeness one more time. Finally, what are some ways in which you can lose memory? Well, Alzheimer's disease, a part of dementia, is a big one. It is a continuous loss of brain cells and can be caused by various other harmful things like too much drugs or alcohol or head trauma, depression, stress, smoking, certain medications, sleep deprivation, and stroke can all cause memory loss over time as well. Nutritional deficiency can also cause memory issues. If you're not eating the right foods and you're lacking high quality proteins and fats, which your brain needs, then that can have a negative effect. Another thing is to be careful of injuries like concussions and other head traumas. Your brain is a very fragile system of cells and structures, and if they become damaged or stretched, then that can cause irreparable harm. Things like headaches, dizziness, fatigue, fogginess, sensitivities to light and sound, changes in eating or sleeping patterns, problems concentrating, depression, Irritability and other personality changes are all symptoms of a concussion. These symptoms can last for days, weeks, or months while the brain tries to heal. If it doesn't have the resources needed to heal, then it might not heal correctly, which can cause more problems. We are only issued one brain at birth. We don't get a second, and there isn't a refund policy. Let's be sure to take care of our brains while we can. And now, the word of the week. We've all heard of déjà vu, but there's a similar word out there. Déjà visite. Déjà visite is essentially knowing your way around a location in which you've never been. It's more about spatial and geographical experiences. Nathaniel Hawthorne once wrote about how he was in a ruined castle which he'd never visited before, but he somehow knew the floor plan of the whole place. He later stated that he was able to connect his moment of déjà visite with a poem by Alexander Pope, who described the layout of that same castle in a very detailed manner. And that is it for this episode of Sanity Optional. Thank you for listening. I apologize if it seemed textbooky, but I've been wanting to learn about and talk about dreams and memory for a while. And a lot of these points I summarized or skipped over, so there's still a lot of information online if you want to read more. I hope that this was at least partially interesting or that you got a good nap out of it. <laughs> I'm always willing to help with that. I'm also expecting a new mic to arrive this week, so hopefully next week will sound better. Anyway, please send any feedback, comments, or topic ideas to sanityoptionalpodcast at gmail.com or r slash sanityoptional. This podcast can be found on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, among others, and if you'd like it on a different platform, please let me know. Remember me and stay sane if you want. It's optional.